0: Why, why? not spiritual security? Why not? And I don't mean that religious. Like I'm not a religious person so much, but but I, I like this idea of being connected to something big, that you know you're not just this little dot in the universe. You're you're a dot in the universe connected to a bunch of other dots in the universe. And so I was just curious why she didn't talk about that.
1: to Resilience Conversations. I'm Carmen Zeisler and I'm here with Katie Perez. And we're so excited that today we have Joe Brummer here with us. And Joe is a restorative practice consultant, author, and I mean, so many things like... Bio is very long but Joe I would love for you to just introduce yourself and then we will jump into our conversation for today
0: sure what could I say so I'm a, a consultant that works around trauma-informed restorative practices I, I love the idea that people think restorative practices are you know intuitively uh, or, or inherently trauma- informed and and I, I don't think they are I think we need to do that lens and so I've really I've really shaped a lot of my work around helping people who are doing restorative justice work, add that trauma-informed lens, which I think is just missing and needed. But I'm also, you know, uh, I, I came to this work from a weird place. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, an educator. Don't even really know how I got to education. Other <laughs> than I fell here, but I fell here as the survivor of two violent hate crimes that really put me on a path to understanding peace and violence and then you know only recently have I gotten bold enough to start to to add it to my de- my identity that I'm a child abuse survivor mm-hmm. and and a lot of my work has been shaped around helping people understand that the people around them might not be mean jerks they mm-hmm. might just be abused children trying to get through their day <laughs> and and uh, you know that's become a new passion of mine is having people understand that Many of the people you think around you that are a bunch of jerks could actually have just gone through horrible timelines of stuff. And with support, they could be doing so much better. Mm. And so how do we get people to that place? So I don't know if that's much of a bio, but, wow. <laughs> but now, I, now I'm just a consultant, mostly working with schools, doing some criminal justice work. But mostly my work has been focused on schools.
1: Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Let's go ahead and check in. We're going to use our resilience team check-in, which is, are you mad, sad, glad, or afraid? And what is that mostly about? And I'm going to kick us off today because I'm just so glad. I'm so glad to be able to be here with Joe today and Katie to have this conversation. I learned about Joe through his book that was released this past year. I think, this last year. And it is Building a Trauma-Informed Restorative School Skills and Approaches for Improving Culture and Behavior. And I, my book is, I don't have it here with me today, but it is sticky noted. It looks like my Brene Brown book, all sticky noted, covered. (laughs) And so, I'm just so excited to be here. Just feel so much glad to be able to have this conversation today with Joe. Thanks, Carmen. I am checking
2: in glad. And we've had a couple of days of brainstorming and creating and building on our team. And I love that, even though it's Hard work and sometimes tense work. <laughs> I kind of thrive there. So it's good for me. Makes me afraid of <laughs> maybe what happens to other people when they brainstorm with me. But it all ends up good in the end, right? <laughs> so I'm just sticking with glad there. We also just went out for lunch together and tried a new restaurant that we hadn't been to before. And so that was fun. I was glad to, glad to spend some time with Ginger and Carmen today. And I have dinner left over. So yeah, I just got the glad too. <laughs> Joe,
3: how about you?
0: I would definitely say I'm feeling glad today. You know, one, because, you know, we've been in a pandemic all this time. And so a lot of my work with schools has been on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so today I actually got to go physically to a school and hang out and, and it's a school I've been working with and a principal I've worked with for several years and to walk in that building and see so many of the practices and, and, and skills and philosophies in action. Like they've really, the, the entire staff has been doing a book study on, on my book, but they, they've been really implementing this stuff for a couple of years. I've done a lot of training work with them in the past few years. And unlike so many schools right now in this pandemic where the kids are like off the wall and and really showing us the the mental health challenges they're facing, this this school isn't having that. This school's really got some cool, like the behaviors are, are some behaviors in a small pocket of kids, but the vast majority of the kids are really, they're thriving right now. And there's not a lot of behavior problems. Staff is stressed, but they're doing well and and so that was just so like happy to to just see that. And so it's it's nice to see the work actually working for a change <laughs> yes. in circumstances where it's really really challenging right now for schools.
3: Yes.
1: Oh, I can feel that for you sure. can hear that.
2: <laughs> well, today we're dig- digging into two different chapters. The first one's chapter eight, places we go when we fell short, shame, self-compassion, perfectionism, guilt, humiliation, and embarrassment. So that sounds like a lot of really awful stuff to dig into, but let's go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think for sure. The first thing yeah. we probably want to talk about is just, I mean, we hear Brene talk about, if you listen to Brene, you mm-hmm. always hear the Difference between shame and guilt. Right. Right. And so I always think that that's a good place to start with is that shame is I am bad, whereas the guilt is I did something bad. And yeah. so I always think it's important for us to to start with the, a basic Brene. Yeah.
2: Well, and I love, I love that she goes on and does that with humiliation and embarrassment as well. So she says humiliation is I've been belittled and put down by someone feeling unworthy and of connection and disgusted. But it was unfair and I didn't deserve this. As opposed to embarrassment being, I did something that made me uncomfortable and it's, it's a fleeting moment. Like those two are, those were two different distinctions to me. They're kind of right there together on the same page. What does that kind of bring up for you? If we dig into shame a little bit more and kind of those examples of shame maybe on the, um, how does it feel like shame? I love her analogy on the page, the picture of the shame in the Petri dish. And when you're adding in silence and secrecy and judgment, it's growing. And then empathy puts it out. Like There are just so many visuals in this that
1: just hit me. Right. And I mean, we talk a lot about shame inside of peaceful schools and families Mm. and just that idea of that silence and secrecy. And that judgment, like those three things, man, and just that a little bit of empathy, it doesn't have to be a lot, just a little bit of empathy, mm-hmm. can just totally change somebody is sure. just tremendous.
0: Yeah, I agree. I also, I was surprised when, you know, when you were talking about how she added shame, guilt, humiliation, and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And then she talks about embarrassment is like the fleeting one, yeah. like the least like of the big ones and I, I i think that surprised me i was like you know cuz none of us like to be embarrassed no well you know in, in my mind i guess i think of that as like bigger than it is what in 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 you know i guess in the lineup of humiliation or shame or guilt you know that, that lineup you know i i think i'd choose embarrassment over the other ones um which is because it's like all right it's like an oops so my bad. This will go away in a minute. Versus this idea of humiliation, which just for me, like I think about, you know, putting this in the context of schools mm-hmm. and the work that I do, you know, humiliation is what drives bullies. Yeah. You know, bullying, bullying is all about humiliating someone else, you know, and and and, and tearing them apart. And then she mentions in there, I forget where she she talks about it. That you know, now that we have an internet global system we can humiliate someone on scales we've never done before
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know and it, it reminded me a little bit about you know the the talk i saw you, you all do once around the like the river of cruelty right. like mm-hmm. humiliation and like is what brings people into that river of cruelty and so I, I thought that i was i was just a little surprised by like embarrassment being on the low totem pole like the the lowest thing on that you know you know notched bar, or you know, whatever the right word is. And, and I was just, I, I I was pretty surprised on that.
2: I, I, I was thinking of a moment in, from second grade. <laughs> okay, so you know, picture this, second grade Katie, we're in the computer lab. We used to have these trailers that would come up and bring us our Apple IIe so we could play Organ Trail, right? I'm in my brownie uniform, and I really have to go to the bathroom. And my teacher says, no, you should have gone before we came to the computer lab. And so what happens? I mean, we can all predict this, right? I wet my pants. And that's embarrassing. And I remember my mom bringing me a new outfit. I'll tell you exactly what she brought me. Some stonewashed jeans (laughs) and a pink t-shirt. And I remember her saying, no one else is going to remember this. Like, this is embarrassing and no one else is going to remember it. Now let's fast forward to my high school year, I think I was a sophomore, at a debate tournament, second grade teacher is chaperoning and we're all reminiscing and someone else says, do you remember when Katie peed her pants in the computer lab? That was humiliation, right? Like I was embarrassed as a second grader, but then for, I don't know what, 10 years later, someone else to bring it up at lunch in front of people who weren't there, that was humiliating. I didn't deserve that. Right? And so like to me that's a that's an example of that school setting where something might be fleeting in the moment and that embarrassment maybe it can come up later in life. And I mean I, we're a good 20 years past that date. You can
3: still feel it. <laughs> I can
2: still feel it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Wow, Katie. Thank
0: you for sharing yeah,
2: that. Yeah. Yeah, now everybody knows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as we talk about vulnerability. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I think what you were talking about there, Joe, was I just had the page hold up over here. She does talk about how it's on page 148 in the hardback book, if you have that. But she talks about how peer rejection, humiliation, depression and anger are, are what leads to bullying as well as suicidal and homicidal ideation. And that's that's really interesting to me. She goes on to talk and, about it school
0: shooting and that she kind talked of thing. about the school shooters that yeah that's the part that like joe like highlighted yeah you know, mm-hmm. like in this like that's the part that i was like blown away by that you know between 1996 and 1999 in every case of school shooters they were ridiculed teased taunted harassed or bullied by peers and, and yet, how often in schools do we hear adults say, well, every kid gets bullied? Yeah. Or, you know, bullying's just a part of growing up. No, 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 it's not. It's not. No, it's yeah. not. And if it, and it, if it is, be. it
2: shouldn't be something we accept. That makes me think of work on attachment. And that's really that anxious avoidant group of people, right? And we know that, that there's a higher risk for harm of others in that attachment
1: style. And you can see why. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Absolutely
1: What about perfectionism? That <laughs> I wanna, was I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it either, but that was a huge that was a that was a huge yeah piece in here. Just the idea, I, I mean, I just have to read part of that poll quote. you know, in our leadership research we learned that achieving mastery requires curiosity and viewing mistakes and failures as opportunities for learning. Perfectionism kills curiosity by telling us that we have to know everything or we risk looking less than. Perfectionism tells us that our mistakes and failures are personal defects. So we either avoid trying new things or we barely recover every time we fall short. I just want to cry. (laughs) <laughs> What's that about for you? Well, you know, I think in my classroom, I think that I did require some perfectionism because there was a lot I felt like I needed to be the perfect mm-hmm. teacher. And what the perfect teacher looked like, I don't really know, to be quite honest. But in my head, like I had to have all my ducks in a row or I was going to lose my job. But then on the other hand, I wanted my kids to really, truly believe and take part in curiosity and explore and guide and do all of those things but perfectionism is definitely something that has led my life for a long time I think I've really like since coming to ESDAC I've had to learn that well ESDAC just has this culture of we're gonna make mistakes and we're gonna learn from them and that's been that was really hard those first couple of years for me yeah that 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 value here
2: was my deciding factor to join the Aztec team. Mm-hmm. We will support you and your successes and your setbacks. And literally when uh, Tamara Lindholm sent me that that email, I thought that's that's the place for me because I I can fall into this trap super fast and it's scary.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Failure is hard for me Yeah, to admit I don't know something.
1: And I think for teachers... Yeah. I mean this is a generalization here but I think there's a lot of teachers especially a lot of our young teachers that are very afraid to make mistakes and to ask questions. And how do we how do we get away from that? Because gosh those first few years teaching in particular that's when you're really gosh you're learning so much. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. And so how, as like a teacher education program, like how do we really support that in our first, you know, those new teachers? You know, the research shows us that they're not staying. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with this, this idea of that you have to be the perfect teacher. Yeah,
0: It also gets reinforced by teacher evaluations that have unreal... Un, really unrealistic expectations. You know, teachers are put into a system that barely supports them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they're evaluated in a system, half of which is out of their control. And then told, you're not a good enough teacher, when actually what we need are probably good enough teachers because <laughs> right those are the ones teachers. willing to grow and learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like A good enough teacher is going to be willing to learn, mm-hmm. right. willing to bend and try new ways. And I, I, I know as, as a consultant for schools, working with teachers, I think a lot of teachers cling on to punitive ways of being or cling on to really punitive ways of classroom management because they're literally afraid of not being good enough there's there's and like some if room. i tried that stuff my classroom won't be out of hand yeah and and i'll lose control and maybe or, or maybe not and a lot of i think perfectionism for educators gets in the way
2: i think it also then causes teachers to hide a little bit when i was working on my master's in administration one of the things that i came across with some research on how administrators don't give teachers true feedback because they're afraid of hurting their I mean, Being a teacher is an identity. And so we don't always get true critical feedback or true growth-based feedback on our evaluations. So if you mark somebody all fours on the evaluation system, then I'm gonna assume that my administrator thinks I'm perfect because it's all fours. I got all fours. There must be, you know, crap, he doesn't think there's anything for me to work on. Now I have to live up to that and I can't have a bad day. Dis- so, I mean, there's so mm-hmm. much in the system that perpetuates this idea of perfectionism for educators that's pervasive and harmful.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Which oh. then
2: causes shame and guilt and, yeah, you know, the, sci- uh, the cycle, the river. The river continues.
1: Mm-hmm. The river continues.
2: Want <laughs> to jump yeah. to chapter nine?
1: Yeah, let's, let's do that. So, in chapter nine, we're doing places we go when we search for connection. Belonging, fitting in, connection, disconnection, insecurity, invisibility, and loneliness. Whew. Okay, so connection is one of my favorite words. Like, it is. <laughs> uh, I, I use Brene's quote in about connection in almost every single presentation that I do. You know, connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from their relationship. I mean, to me, that's an example of of restorative restorative practices it's part of it's part of it what we're trying to do is to build connection you know especially when we think of like community circles or inside the conflict mediation like we want we want to build some connection between people and we want people to feel seen heard and valued like that's what we want like that's what I want Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I want to feel seen heard and valued and so yeah so I could talk about this all day.
2: Well, we talk a lot about school practices need to be based on dignity. Mm -hmm. safety and respect, right? And so I think that right there is that belonging. Do kids feel like they belong in this place? Do they, and you have to have those three things there for that to happen. And I love the poll quote on the next next poll quote that's out there, I think. We can only feel belonging if we have the courage to share our most authentic selves with people. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. And so how do we build that for kids? How do we help them? How do we create systems where they feel like they belong because they are safe they're treated with dignity and that they know their value and their worth
3: Mm -hmm.
2: that doesn't lead them to a place of perfectionism
3: (laughs) yes yeah
0: yeah that's tough stuff too Uh, that I, i think restorative practices could build this connection for folks And then I I love how she goes from just connection to like the difference between fitting in and belonging Mm -hmm. and, and how, when we circle kids up, we're not just circling kids up because circle's cool, you know, yes, circle is cool. And it's not the only way that we can build connection and relationships with students. There are other ways, like. I'm always trying to get people to think beyond circle as a restorative like any, any more people think of restorative practice, restorative justice, they think oh circle. Circles, right. But there's so much more to like restorative practice, trauma informed restorative justice. These aren't things you do. Mm-hmm. This is how you show up. Exactly. And and in order for you to create these authentic relationships and circle, you have to show up
3: mm-hmm.
0: and and be this vulnerable self you know with the quote you just said like you can't create belonging and connection if you don't really have it with
3: mm-hmm. yourself yeah mm-hmm.
0: and and i think so many educators said well i circled my kids up but I, they're just not they're not connecting with each other and i'm like how connected are you with yourself exactly cuz they're just going to model what you do mm-hmm. and or you hear you often hear them say, well, the kids aren't talking in circle. And I'm like, well, are, are you talking in circle? Right. Are you being vulnerable? Cause they're just going to model you. But then in order to create this place of belonging and fitting in, you know, circle's a great way to do that. If, if the educator or person running that circle is willing to be that the the vehicle to make fitting in belonging and connection happen.
3: And
2: I think that's something they have to continue working on, right? I mean, right. I just did a coaching session with a teacher that we love, and she's been doing restorative circles and practices for quite a while mm-hmm. and is really, really believer in it and has been using it consistently and all of that, and she was really struggling with just a certain group of kids doing what you were just talking about, Joe, just opening up and really participating. And so in our coaching session, we just brainstormed you know, what might be preventing them from feeling safe. And she came up with just a few little, few little tweaks to the way she runs circles, such as I'm gonna, I always sit in the same place. She realized she always sits in the exact same location within the circle. I'm gonna start moving to different places. I'm going to start sitting with my hands open and up on my knees when I'm talking. I'm going to ask for different kids in my class to begin facilitating certain parts of the circle, being the mindful moment person. And she just came up with all these different ways to help her kids belong in the circle and show that she was part of the process, not this teacher facilitating it. We talked about a week and a half later, totally different situation in her classroom. And I just thought that was amazing that she was she's still seeking the ways to improve the practice, restorative practice. I mean, I know I'm being real like on the nose here, but practices, (laughs) things we do.
1: (laughs) Well, and every year with different groups of kids, it's going to look sound and feel different.
0: Mm -hmm. I did find it interesting when she talked about belonging and fitting in. How she, because this, uh, this one blew me away. Like I'm a child abuse survivor. <laughs> like I read this next part where she talks about, you know, there's belonging at school, but do you feel like you belong and fit in at home? Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared for reading that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> either. What, excuse me? What, what are you talking about belonging and fitting it at home? And, and, you know, as she started to talk about like parents and children you know, maybe not liking the things your parents like. Like in my, my house, I, you know, like lots of little gay boys, I wasn't really into sports. But my whole family were uh, Philadelphia Flyers fans and hockey fans. And so if there was a game on, literally they shut the doors to the TV room <laughs> and I'd be playing the piano in two rooms away, probably <laughs> annoying them. Cause I'd play the same Elton John songs over and over and, <laughs> you know, but they would, th- th- this their team would score and they'd all cheer and yell. And I'd be like, I always felt left out. I was like, I'm not, you know, I don't fit in with that. And so I just, I thought that was so, you know, the fact that she articulates that so well mm-hmm. in, in this little chapter about like, you know, when you don't belong at school and then you get home and you don't, don't really belong. belong or fit in there we're really talking about children that just like y- you end up spending a lifetime wondering, well, where do I fit? Mm-hmm. And so that I, I was not prepared to read that. <laughs> we'll probably mention this with my therapist on Thursday, you know, <laughs> just like, like I, I, I thought that was a pretty powerful thing to think about. But then you also, you know, how often do we go and think, we always think for children that are experiencing trauma in schools that trauma is happening at home and we don't think about trauma happening at school. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I think this is the same kind of thing. I think parents think, Oh, I hope my kid is fitting in and belonging at school. But how many parents are thinking, wow, does my kid fit in and belong at home and family? Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we making space as parents for our kids that might not be like us or have our same interests or root for our team? Like that That was a concept. I, I hate to say that concept. Like was like, oh, what are y'all doing to me here? Why are you asking <laughs> me to read this? But it, it, that was powerful. I thought that was a really powerful piece to write about because I don't think that gets the, the right – that doesn't get the right attention that idea of belonging like it's it's not only a matter that people need to feel like they belong and fit in it's not just at school or at work it's like it's in your own like personal space too mm-hmm. Yeah. and yeah that, that caught me off guard not gonna lie that caught me off guard thank you for carmen, that
2: carmen and i have that conversation all the time <laughs> being caught off guard <laughs> I loved the, the story in here about, I don't remember her name, but the, the, the DACA recipient um, Paola, right. You know, these are the kids that I taught when I was in Texas. And so that just was a really, it was, it was interesting to read this perspective of it because so many of the kids that I taught were, were undocumented. (laughs) And so they all, they felt like they belonged because that It was their community. And so just thinking about that perspective of somebody who didn't have that same community growing up in the same way, and then still walking out and saying, I belong to myself. Like that's, Mm -hmm. it was, that was a beautiful, a beautiful personal connection in there.
1: Going along with that, there is a new recently published children's book. Uh, Katie, hi. Katie, Joe, you might not know this about me, but I love children's literature. It's one of my favorite things. And there's a recently published children's book called Dreamer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: There's well, Yuri Morales' oh. book, but then there's also another one, and it's like it's the story of a, a of well, she she is an author, obviously, but you know she is a dreamer, and it's just her story growing up and. What that looked like, sound like, felt like, you know, not fitting in, not belonging Mm -hmm. and then finding, finding herself Mm -hmm. and finding her people. And it's, it's so beautiful. I just wrote a circle around it just, just the other day, actually. (laughs) Beautiful. All right. The, I was really like the talking insecurity. That is a word I hear I hear that word a lot. I don't ever really hear the word self security very much. Yeah. And so that was really interesting to me. The self security is the open and non judgmental acceptance of one's own weaknesses. And just knowing, again, it goes back to just knowing who I am, who we, you know, and being okay with that. It doesn't mean that it's just status quo, Carmen it's just, this is where I'm at right now. And I don't know, I, that word just kind of blew me away too.
0: I, I liked how she talked about like, she, so she lists out these different types of insecurity, yes. which that, all, that caught me off guard just period. Cause I never really thought about the idea of, you know, you're insecure, you're insecure, but I love how she talked about like being insecure about, she called it domain specific, but mm-hmm but not secure in like your housing or not secure in your space right. or with your stuff or your money. And then she goes on to talk about relational insecurity, like not being feeling secure in your relationships. And then she goes on to the last one. Yours was like personal insecurity. yeah. And then I was like, well, why isn't there one for like spiritual insecurity? Ooh. Like oh. I was just curious why she didn't go like one step further to be like, all right, like, what about feeling like it's like your security in relationship to things larger than yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, like even this, the, the the dreamer story that's in here, you watch this girl become secure in her relationships because she got attached to something larger than herself. She found other people like her. And and I connected with that story only in a small way for me that that was a lot like me when i got to high school and i realized there were actually other gay people existing and Mm -hmm. i wasn't the only one and i was like oh wait wait there's a whole group of us (laughs) and i remember going to my you know i'm a philadelphia you know i was born and raised in new jersey but i right outside philadelphia and so i went to my first pride festival and there were 20 some thousand people at this festival and I, i i did not i really did not know That many gay people possibly existed. Like I was just young enough and and not aware enough and closeted enough that I I just didn't have this understanding. And so I felt so connected Hmm. and secure in my relationship to this bigger community, this thing bigger than me. Wow. And and I'm I'm it's but there's a security that comes with. It's like I have like my people are out there. You know, kind of idea, even if I don't feel secure in my relationships with them or my relationship with myself, even if I'm broke and don't have that kind of security, there is this security of like being part of something bigger. And, and so I was just surprised that that like why why not spiritual security why not and I don't mean that religious like I'm not a religious yeah. person so much but but I, I like this idea of being connected to something big mm-hmm. that you know you're not just this little dot in the universe you're you're a dot in the universe connected to a bunch of other dots in the universe and so i was just curious why she didn't talk about that well i wish and, we could ask her i mean
2: one of these days we'll be best friends with Brene, and we'll say Brene, joe wants to know
3: <laughs> why yeah, didn't you include I'm this not thinking that's just,
2: happen we'll just today, switch, but, we'll you know. facetime you in. we're putting it out into the world that this is going to happen so
1: <laughs> I, I i feel like we do this every podcast put that out into the world <laughs> I really
2: love come
0: talk to us.
2: (laughs) Someday, someday. I really loved this section on loneliness, and I was pretty much undone by her comparison of starvation and loneliness being equally life-threatening. And then she goes on to say that living with air pollution increases your odds of dying early by 5%, obesity 20%, excessive drinking 30%, And loneliness increases our odds of dying early by 45%. I, I just think so much about, I would have, I I would have never, I would have never thought that number possible, I guess. But I think about people who lose their spouses Mm -hmm. and how many stories you hear about You know, somebody's grandmother dies and within months, their grandfather has passed away as well. And just that that could be just loneliness, something as simple as that, a word that we use pretty lightly, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: having a profound effect on a life
0: makes me sad. I think it goes back to what she talks about. And she talks about it in here, too. But, you know, that idea of connection being I I forget where in this she's used this in her TED talk. She said connection is why we're here. Mm You know, it's it's what what it's all about, and I, I noticed along. So when I first started doing workshops on trauma and and connection, just just like Carmen, I use that quote. Mm-hmm. You know, connection is the the energy that happens between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. And then at the time, the example that I was using is like, if you look at that hierarchy of needs you know, that's even in this book, which is, you know, I always feel bad that Maslow may have borrowed that from Blackfoot nation. And and so I always feel a little bad that when we see that hierarchy, we're not acknowledging that it may have some indigenous roots that we don't always acknowledge. But when you look at that, that list, it's like when people are starving and you take away food, they will, they will eat their shoes if you're that hungry. If you're that hungry, you'll eat anything. Stuff that you would never eat. You're like, well, I am starving. And you'll munch down something. But then we looked in Romania in what was the early 80s. They passed these really strict abortion laws in Romania and, and they took children and thought that if you pick them up and hug them and love them, that you'd corrupt them morally. So we had 30 children to one caregiver and never saw these kids get picked up. So we're talking no connection. They got fed, they, you know, they got food, they got the basics, but no connection. Those kids didn't even like sit up in their cribs. Many of them developmentally never learned to walk. It's like if you, you they got the basics of food, but you take away connection. And it's almost like you take away people's will to bother like will to live will to fight like it's like all right well food I'll, I'll fight for food but you take away love and connection and belonging and people just stop trying
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I, I've always found that so profound and then she she also talks in here about this idea that you know when we feel those emotional pains of loneliness of disconnection, it, which, you know, she defines shame as as the fear of disconnection. We feel that physically, like on a brain scan, that shows up yeah. in the same places in our brain as physical pain. Like it's it is it is pain for us to be disconnected, to be lonely. It you know, and we'll make up excuses even if we have to, to just find connection. You know, like the older person that goes to the grocery store every day to buy something they just bought the day before mm-hmm, right. solely because they want to talk to the clerk.
3: Yeah,
0: And or students you know, that might be my excuse who, who at get... the wine store. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
2: sure, Joe. Sure. Uh, the children, you know, our our students, our children that that seek out the wrong types of relationships with friends for connection and validation. Yeah. And I mean, if we can see it in, you know, really big, drastic ways,
1: but we could also look at those everyday examples of that. Yeah. You know, I, when she talks about like to combat loneliness, we much first learn how to identify it Mm -hmm. and to have the courage to see the experience as a warning sign. You know, I struggle with depression and anxiety and it's really just been in probably the last, I don't know, 10 years that I can identify that loneliness, like identify those triggers and be able to be like, okay, You know, and maybe it's just a quick text to somebody or a or going out on a walk or, you know, there's there's some a few things that I can do to help with that. But that that sentence, I was like, in in a lot of ways, I felt seen by that sentence Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and just how what is what is that what does it look like for our kids that are that are lonely that are lonely how do we oh, how do we help yeah. them
2: Carmen thanks I think that might be a really nice place for us to end today and what I love is that Joe mentioned earlier you know our next two chapters are about one of them is about love and lovelessness and heartbreak and, right. and how that love kind of is that that connection that's the antidote to so much of what we're talking about in these two chapters. It'll be a good, that'll be a good
1: discussion too. That's right. Joe, thank you so much for being here with us today. Joe, where's the best place for people to reach out to you Uh, on social media?
0: People can find me on Twitter at Joe Brummer. And you can also find me on my website, which is joebrummer.com, which is probably the easiest way to get me and find my social media. I've been slowly weaning myself off of things like Facebook and LinkedIn and, yeah. and a lot of the other social media because I, I – and I think even reading this book has kind of moved me. I've, I'm keeping Twitter because Twitter somehow is filled with like lots of uplifting people that do the work we do. Like, mm-hmm. but, Like I think I follow – I know I follow Carmen. Uh, And and that seems a little cheery to me, but I'm slowly moving away from social media stuff. And so Twitter and my and my website are probably the best ways to find me as I wean myself off of of Facebook and other social medias. There's too much stress on those things.
1: Good good for (laughs) you. Good good for you. you. (laughs) Well, I just again just want to give, you know, I just want to say go buy Joe's book is what I want to say (laughs) (laughs) is go ahead and get his book, building a trauma informed restorative school. I, I mean, it would be so much fun if we got some people in, in the area here in Kansas that would love to read that and we can do some book studies. He has a, you have a a guide, don't you? A, A discussion guide that goes along with the book as well.
0: Yeah. We have this great principal here at one of our schools here who. You know, I asked her if she wanted her name on it and she didn't, which is, so I always want to like tell people her name and I always feel bad because I'm like, I don't think she wants me to tell people, <laughs> but, but we have this great principal in Wethersfield Public Schools who cre- did a summer book club with the book, with her, like a, her leadership team at her school and they created this great book study guide. I do want to add some stuff to it and tweak it and, yeah. and, and pretty it up. And I just, you know, I haven't been able to find time to do it. It's a really good, I mean, it asks really good questions.
1: Fantastic. And so
0: it, I'm free to share that with anybody that wants it. They told me I can share it with anybody I want to. Um, and my publisher is going to, at one point, help me pretty it up and maybe expand it. So that it has some worksheets and maybe turn it into a workbook
3: mm-hmm. That'd be awesome!
0: so that we can really, you know, cause not everybody gets to do a book club. So what if we do a, right. a workbook yeah. where you can do some of that, you know, uh, reflective thinking on there, but if p- anybody's interested in the, in the study guide, you know, just, just send me an email. I'm happy to share it with you. The people that wrote it were happy to allow me to share it, which I'm super grateful for, you know, and hopefully she will put her name on it because she absolutely deserves the credit, <laughs> even though. I said, do you want me to put your name on this? And she's like, no. And I'm like, are you serious? And so so I've been trying to honor that. And then at the same time, I want to tell everybody who wrote it. And yeah, but it seemed like she didn't want me to. And so unless I misunderstood. So uh, maybe she'll listen. And yeah, I'm super happy to share that. (laughs) Okay. It's possible.
1: (laughs) Well, Joe, thank you so much again for being with us today. Yeah, Thank you for having me. And Katie, you want to take us out? Yeah, thanks for joining us today
2: for Resilience Conversations. We love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great day.